Which Chris said, hard to believe October finally got here. Seemed like it would never, never get here. Everybody's had their first pumpkin spice latte, right? So it's uh, like officially fall now. Welcome in the new season. Uh, it actually feels like fall. That's the kind of strange thing. It actually feels like fall. I wouldn't crack open the sweaters just yet. Uh, it's probably, it's, it's Georgia, so it's probably be 90 degrees in a couple days. But we, we've had this... And of course, October means leaves are falling and there's plenty of yard work still left to be done. Uh, Pumpkins are going to get carved. Candy corn is being sold. Here's what I found about candy corn. There is no middle ground on candy corn. You either love candy corn and you could eat a whole bag in one sitting or you hate candy corn, even the side of it, and you definitely don't want to eat any of it. So just so we know, just for clarity, how many of you love candy corn? Yeah, there's a Robin right there. Somebody get this lady some candy corn. All right, how many of you are candy corn haters? So, all right, it's so kind of an even split in this service. So, all right, the candy corn haters unite uh, in the 11 o'clock service. All right, just, just so I know who we're dealing with here. Uh, it, it's the season of hot apple cider and hot chocolate. I think the coffee bar even broke out the apple cider and the hot chocolate this morning. Hay bales, corn mazes. It, it's just a great time of year. That change of season, just a wonderful time of year. Now, October's also the costume season. Right? Everybody's trying to figure out what they're going to wear, and maybe your office has a, a dress-up day, or you're getting, kids are getting ready for, for Halloween. Uh, so we got superheroes and princesses, and then we got the, the darker side of dress-up with the witches and the goblins and the ghosts, and it's, it's bat season and spider web season. October, in a sense, is the month of scary. Right? It's like it's okay to decorate and dress up and, and have scary theme in the month of October. And, and uh, interesting thing I read this week, Americans this Halloween will spend $8.4 billion on Halloween. Like $8.4 billion, costumes, decorations, food, candy, all of that stuff. They're expecting it to be the largest amount ever spent on Halloween, Halloween 2016. So we got that to be proud of uh, as a nation. Um, Now, there is also, speaking of $8.4 billion, there's also the business of scary. Like there's a whole industry, not just of costumes and and stores, but like the, the scary movie industry and the scary novel industry. So you get some of those coming out. And, and I find scary movies are the same way. There's no middle ground, right? You either like that or you're not going to go ever see that. You try not to even see the preview. So again, just a little survey. How many of you are scary movie liker people? You freaks. So <laughs> the rest of you are sane, intelligent people. All right, so now if you're both, if you're a candy corn lover and a scary movie hate, I'm not a scary do the best, so you got that, you got that going for you. I'm not, I'm not a scary guy. I'm just not. I, I, I don't, I'm not going to give somebody money to frighten me. It just seems, it seems dumb to sit through a scary movie just to be afraid. I, I don't understand it. I've seen most of like the classics, you know. I, I've seen most of those when I was younger. I got talked into a couple of scary movies when I was in college because you don't want to wimp out when you're in college. I still have nightmares about stuff like that. I, I'm just, I'm not a scary person. 
I went to Fright Fest at Six Flags on Friday, and that's like right on the line for me. That's like right on the edge of what I'm willing to do uh, when it comes to scary. I, it's just not me. So you got the October scary, you got the, you got the Hollywood scary uh, with the movies, and then you've got the general phobia scary, like the general fears. As a matter of fact, if you Google this, if you do some research about what are, what are the most popular, most often phobias, all the lists are basically the same. It's basically the same 10 or 12 things, and all of us have phobias that fall within this list, like uh, scared of heights, that's a very common one, scared of flying is a common one, scared of enclosed places, like places you don't know how you're going to get out of, or really confined, claustrophobia, that sort of thing. Very, very common. Um, the dentist makes the list, right? Fear of... And, and obviously, it's not the fear of the dentist himself or herself. Dentists are nice people. They're, they're nice people. It's the drill, right? That's, that's what we're afraid of. And it's the sound of the drill, right? It's 2016. How have we not come up with a way that you don't have to hear that? When you go to the dentist. So it's that sound and then the smell. It's like all of these senses go into fear overload when you go to the dentist. Now look, you need to go to the dentist. Dentists are nice people. We have some hygienists in the crowd. They're wonderful people. It's a sign of good health to take care of your mouth and your teeth and your gums. You should go to the dentist. It's just for some of us, that thought creates this emotional, psychological, even physical reaction. Doesn't like some of you right now, you're close to passing out because I keep talking about this. And like you go to the dentist, but you walk in the door saying, give me the gas. Like I want the gas. I want it before I go back. When I go back, when I'm coming out, just I don't care how much it costs. I want gas because I don't want to know anything that's going on. It's a phobia. It's a fear. Some of us, our phobia is more spirals. Snakes, right? that's, that's a real phobia. Needles, people, some people have a real fear of needles. And you know, I was thinking about that when I'm thinking, I, I don't think anybody enjoys needles, right? Like if you enjoy needles, we got a different problem going on and, and we probably should talk afterwards because that's like a different thing. But some of us, again, the whole tension and the whole heart rate, you're like not getting a flu shot because it requires a needle, right? You, even if it's the best thing for you, you're not going to do it. Public speaking always registers. Like some of us, our knees go weak, our words get all jumbled. We hate public speaking. On a lot of these lists, you know what you'll find? Clowns. Um, see, somebody just passed out right over there. Clowns. And I think we have Stephen King to blame for that. Right. Um, uh, all honesty, I, I tried to read it about 25 years ago. I made it through 30 pages. I never picked it up again. Still have nightmares about clowns. Just 30 pages of it. And now they're making the movie. Like the remake of Stephen King's It's going to come out. And some of these crazy people are going to go see that nonsense. It's, in, it's insane. So... We, we all have these fears and these phobias. Uh, FDR once said, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Did you say wrong? 
I know, because there's people like me going, no, there's clowns, right? Like, that is something to be afraid of. But FDR, speaking to the name, nothing to fear but fear itself. But we would all say, no, there's more than fear. There's like real things that I'm afraid of. I've heard, I've seen a lot of pastors do messages on overcoming fear or or having courage, and that's a, that's a great way to go with this subject of fear. As a matter of fact, our kids, if you have kids and journey kids this month, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about how Jesus, that's not what we're going to talk about, to face our fears. That's a wonderful topic for us to talk about. That's not what we're going to talk about in this particular series. I kind of want to go a different way. Here's what I'm going to try to convince you of in this series. There are some things that we should be afraid of. There are some things that it's okay to fear. It's it's okay. Now, fear, scary, afraid, those are kind of exaggerated words. Here's what I mean. There are some really weighty issues. There are some things we should pay attention to. There There are sobering issues especially about our faith. I mean, the Bible has some issues that you read them and you go, wow, that's, that's kind of intense. That's, that, that seems important. That's, that's maybe a, even a little bit scary. That makes me think about some things. We're going to pull some of those issues out. Because here's what we tend to do with things we fear. We avoid them. If you are afraid of heights, you do everything possible to avoid putting yourself in a situation where you're going to be up high. If you have a fear of public speaking, you do everything possible to avoid being the one who has to give the report in front of uh, your office staff. You, You do everything to get out of situations that you fear, and we do that with faith. When there are things in the Bible that are heavy and weighty, and maybe mysterious, and, and maybe even a little frightening, we, we tend to avoid those sections. We tend to not want to think about those sections, or not want to talk about those sections. And what I'm saying is, let's, let's pull some of those out, and let's figure out what the Bible is trying to say in those particular subjects, and, and see what we can learn. Because sometimes, it's okay to have the right kind of fear in our life. For example, here's what we're going to talk about today. The reality that some people will spend eternity separated from God's a scary thought. It's a sobering thought. It's a heavy thought. It's kind of an in-your-face. Some people are going to spend eternity with God, and some people are going to spend eternity separated from God And when I say some people, I don't mean random, nameless, faceless people. I don't don't just mean that person on the other side of the world that we've never met. I mean, I care about them. People in my family, it's true. There are people that I'm close to and I know and I love and I care about them. People in my family who, if they died today, would spend eternity separated from a God that created them and loves them and wants to have a relationship with them. That's an unsettling thought. That's a hard thought. But the reality of an eternity separated from God is found in the Bible. 
We can't just ignore that. We can't just pretend that isn't true or that isn't in the Bible. That reality is clearly taught in the Bible. Let me give you one example. This is just one place. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus is telling a story. It's a made-up story. It's a parable. Jesus used these all the time to try to help us understand important truths. In Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19, Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So Jesus opens the story with this huge contrast. You got person A, who doesn't have a name, he's just a rich man, who every single day he has the best of everything. He has the best house, he has the best clothes, he has the best food. He lives in luxury every single day. As a matter of fact, if we were given the option, hey, which one of these guys you want to be, we're picking this guy, right? Because who doesn't want to live in luxury every single day? Everything about his life was great. Everything about his life was comforting. And then the contrast, at the total other end of the spectrum, is a guy named Lazarus. Now, if you're a Bible trivia person, this is the only person in any of Jesus' parables that gets a name. Most people have titles or they're described in some way, but not this guy. This is the one guy in all of Jesus' stories that gets an actual name, Lazarus. So Jesus is saying, look, there are people that are going to be like this. There are people really going to be like these two characters. Lazarus has nothing. He doesn't have his health. He doesn't have riches. He doesn't have nice clothes. He doesn't even have food. He would take the last crumbs off of the rich guy's table if he could get them. He has no resources, absolutely nothing. There's even the suggestion he can't even get himself to the gate. Right? I mean, the way it reads, he's laid at the gate. Like somebody has to drop him off every day just so he can beg. Like he is at the bottom of life's spectrum. Rich guy, the time came. Beggar. This is what happens. Verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Here's the thing about death. Death is the great equalizer. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. No matter who you are in this life, we all die. Death is the great equalizer. Rich and poor both die. Young and old both die. The sick die. Sometimes people who are perfectly healthy, something happens, and they die. Celebrities die. The unknown die. Every single one of us. Death is the great equalizer. And for all of his wealth and all of his luxurious living and his wonderful house that he lived in and the great food that he ate every day, the rich man could not keep death from coming even from him. Here's what else Jesus is saying. The stuff that's on the outside of you, it's not going to matter when that day comes. 
the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the house you live in, the bank account you have, how successful you are at your job. None of those are necessarily wrong. It's just the moment after you die, none of that's going to matter. What's going to matter is what's on the inside. And we get just kind of a little glimpse into this rich man's heart, into his inside, because even after he dies, even after he's separated from God, even after things are not going well for him, he says to Abraham, would you send Lazarus down to help me out? Would you let him come serve me? And he still sees himself as worthy of having somebody come and take care of him, somebody come and serve him. Something's going on on the inside of him, and something different is going on on the inside of Lazarus. Now, this particular story doesn't get into what the difference is, but the rest of the Bible does. The rest of the Bible talks a lot about what differentiates the person who spends eternity with God versus the person who spends eternity separated from God. John said it succinctly. We we quote this verse a lot, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world. He gave His one and only Son that if you believe, don't believe in Him. You spend, you spend eternity with God. If you don't believe in Him, you spend eternity separated from God. And by belief, by faith, the Bible doesn't mean that we just agree that there was a Jesus one day. We, the Bible doesn't mean we just agree that Jesus lived or even that Jesus died. It's not just, yes, I agree with the facts about Jesus It's I put my trust that Jesus is the Savior of the world. The Bible is full of many stories and many characters. But there is one overarching theme from beginning to end of the Bible. There is one overarching message that God is trying to communicate to us, to every man, woman, and child who has ever lived, and it's simply this message that I created you. God created us, and He created us perfectly. Put, put the very first humans in a garden where everything was great. And he had a relationship with those humans and he talked with those humans. And their relationship was wonderful. And in that environment, God gave them one rule. And one rule was too many. Because there came a point where the very first humans decided, I don't want to do it God's way. I want to do it my way. I don't care what God thinks. I'm going to do what I think. I don't care what God wants. I'm going to do what I want. And at that moment, the relationship between the creator and his creation was broken. The relationship between God and humans was severed because of disobedience. And that, the Bible calls it sin. That disobedience, that breaking of relationship, it passed on to every human that would ever live. And that may bother you a little bit. You may be like, well, how come I get held responsible? And we can get into the theology of that. But let's be honest, just, just to cut the conversation a little short this, this morning. Let's be honest. We've all done that too. We've all had multiple times in our life where we decided, I'm going to do it my way, not your way, God. I'm going to do what I want, not what you want. I'm going to listen to me, not you. We've lied. We've... We've, we've cheated, we've had thoughts that are not pleasing to God, not just once, we, we've all done this. 
And just take the Ten Commandments. Just go down one through ten, see what your score is. I'm guessing it's not a hundred. I'm guessing we've all failed in multiple ways. On the most basic list that we were ever given. Paul would say it in the book of Romans like this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person has disobeyed God. And because of that, we are separated from God. And if we stay in that condition, we'll spend all of eternity separated from God. Like the rich man in the story. Now, we don't always view ourselves that way. We don't always view ourselves as needing help from God or, or, or from being out of relationship with God. Most of the time, we view ourselves as being pretty good with God. And the reason we do that is because we compare ourselves to each other. And like, I look at you and I think, well, I'm not, I'm not so terrible. Look at them. And you look at me and you say, well, look at each other. The pastor, look at him. And here's the other thing we do when we look at each other. I have a tendency to compare my best moments to your worst moments. You ever do that as a parent? Like you compare your best parenting moment with somebody else's worst parenting moment. Right? You're like you're in Publix and there's a meltdown going over here. And you're thinking, well, I'm a better parent than them. Yeah, but next week it's going to be you. right? In the pickle aisle, that's going to be you and your kid. But you forget that. You remember what terrible job they did and the things they said. We, we compare our best moments to somebody else's worst moments. And we think, I'm pretty good. I'm doing okay. The problem is our scale is off. We compare our faults with other people who have faults. What the Bible does is the Bible compares our faults with the perfectness of God. God's righteousness, God's complete holiness, the fact that God has never sinned. And to be in relationship with Him, we can't have disobedience in our heart. We can't have it's my way in our heart. We can't break relationship with Him and then get back into it. We're incapable of that. And our measuring system is so off. Illustration I use a lot is throwing a football. If I can throw it 30 yards, I'd probably tear a rotator cuff. But if I throw it, that's awesome. If you could throw it 40 yards, well, that's better than me. If Jacob Eason throws the ball 50 yards with 10 seconds left on the clock, like the crowd goes crazy, right? Everybody stands up and cheers. He threw it 50 yards with 10 seconds. If Joshua Dobbs throws the ball 60 yards with four seconds left on the clock, too soon. <laughs> Everybody goes crazy, loses their minds. What if we got Jacob Eason and Joshua Dobbs, we put them on the 50-yard line, we say, I want you to throw it to Mars. Go. 50 yards is not that impressive, is it? 60 yards is not that impressive. 100 yards is not that impressive. A mile. Throw the football a mile. But if the goal is to throw it to Mars, you really haven't even gotten close. You see, that's what our sin is like. It's what our disobedience is like. 
I like it better than you. But when I compare to God, I'm not even close. And I can't get close. Like I'm never going to be close. The Old Testament prophet says, all of those things you try to do to become a good person, they're filthy rags. Like the best you could do. The best, the best person on the earth could ever do. It's filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. So here's what God realized. Here's what God knew. God knew that you and I could not get ourselves back into relationship with him. And he would need to take care of that for us. So God sends his son. Born of a virgin. Sinless. Would live a perfect life would die on our behalf, would take your sin and my sin, all of my disobedience, all of your disobedience, he would take it on himself. He would suffer the payment for us so that we could be forgiven and we could be set free. And so that when God does look at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, not the sin of me. He sees the perfection of his son, not the disobedience of who I I am. I get to give Jesus all of my sin, and in return, I get to receive all of his righteousness. That's what the Bible means by believe. It means trust with your whole self that Jesus is the Son of God who had to die in your place so that you could be forgiven and so that you could have eternal life. Just accept that. The Bible makes clear there's these two options. Paul said it in Romans chapter 6, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are the options. Eternal life with Jesus. Eternal separation. Because I don't yield to Him. I don't give my life to Him. So the result is that we have to make a choice. Each of us. We have to make a choice of what we're going to do with this Jesus. Are we going to continue to push him away? Are we going to continue to insist? Nope, I'm doing it my way. Nope, I don't care what God says. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what the church says. I don't care what religious people say. God, I don't care what you say. I'm doing it my way. Are we going to yield my way to God's way? Am I going to trust that God really is God? And he's good and loving and compassionate and kind. And if you want to do that, then put your faith in Christ. You leave this life, your faith in Christ. If you want to be assured of where you will be when you leave this life, then just in your own words, say, Jesus, I know that I need you. I know that I have sinned. I have disobeyed you. I believe you died for me, in my place. Come into my life and take over. Just in your own words, you can say that to God. And God hears us, and Christ comes in, and He never leaves us. In Jesus' story, if you keep reading, the rich man says to Abraham, would you send Lazarus to go tell my family what you just told me? Would you, would you go let them know that they need to make this choice. Would you go let them know that when they die, they don't want to be where I am? And Abraham basically says, they've already been told. Like they have all the information they need. 
They have the writings of Moses. They have the writings of the prophets. In other words, they have God's word. They can read it. There are people there who are telling them this message. They don't need somebody else to tell them. They've already heard. And that's the situation all of us are in. We've already heard. We know. None of us are going to stand before God after we die and be able to say, I didn't know. Nobody ever told me. I didn't realize that I needed to trust Jesus. Nobody here can say that. Because we've heard. We know. And now it comes down to, what are you going to do with what you know? Second, if you've given your life to Christ, but haven't been obedient to be baptized, it's time. Like, What are you waiting on? I mean, baptism is the first step of obedience once we give our life to Christ. I mean, it's a way of saying, hey, Jesus, I meant business. I meant I was really going to do things your way. And you said to be baptized. So I'm going to do that because I'm trying to live for you now. It's not what gets us into heaven. It's not, it's not what forgives us. It's not what saves us or whatever terminology you want to use. But it is a way of saying, I really mean I want to do things Jesus' way now. Jesus told us, look, after you've confessed me, then let everybody know by baptism. And if you give your life to Christ today, then we want to know that. We want to hear from you so that we can help you celebrate baptism. If you gave your life to Christ a long time ago, if you've never followed that with baptism, let's do it. I know baptism itself can be scary. But it is a we get all wet, it's kind of awkward. I realize that. But it is a way to publicly identify with Jesus as your Savior and publicly say, I'm doing things Jesus' way now. I'm not doing things my way anymore. Here's the third thing we can do. We can compassionately share our faith with the people around us. Because this is true, because Every person will spend eternity either with God or separated from God. Then we need to compassionately share Christ with other people. There are people around all of us. There are people in all of our circles who don't know Jesus yet. And maybe they've heard some of the story, but maybe they need your example and your words and your encouragement to cross the line. I mean, it's scary that people we know and love could spend eternity separated from God. So how are we going to be a part of helping them avoid that? Look, I'm glad that God doesn't make it my responsibility to talk somebody into giving their life to Christ. God doesn't make it my responsibility to make sure they give their life to Christ. But here's what God says. God says, look, I want you to be a part of this process. God saves people. God God helps people have eternal life, but he invites us to be a part of that moment. He invites us to be a part of that process. Maybe, as we think about this, maybe we need to be more intentional thinking specifically about people we know that we're not certain of their salvation. Maybe we need to be more intentional about praying for specific names of people who need to give their life to Christ. Maybe we need to be intentional 
in asking God to give us opportunities to share our faith, to pray consistently, God, open the door for me to share my faith with somebody today. God, open the door for me to be an example to someone about what it means to follow Christ. And then maybe we need to pray specifically that God would give us boldness, that when that door opens, God, help me have the courage to step into it. Help me have the boldness to say what needs to be said. Give me the words that I need to say, and then give me the courage to actually say them, to actually go there, to actually invite somebody to church, to actually share my faith experience with somebody else that may encourage them, to actually pray for somebody. Are going to, because it's a scary thought that some people are going to spend eternity separated from God. So let's be a part of helping as many people as possible come to know Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you that even though we've sinned, even though we disobeyed you, even though we've done things our way and not your way, you haven't given up on us. You didn't write us off. But you made it possible for us to come back into relationship with you. God, I I pray if there's anybody here who hasn't done that, this, this would be their day. That in their own way, in their own words, they would call out to you. Admit that they've disobeyed you. And receive the salvation that comes through Jesus' death. And they do it today. Not wait. Not put it off any longer. There's someone who knows they need to be baptized. God, help them them to make that commitment today. And for all of us who are followers of Jesus, give us a little more boldness. Give us a little more courage to speak of our faith to people who are outside of Christ. To compassionately, graciously, winsomely share with other people what Jesus means to us that more people would come into the kingdom and more people would spend eternity in heaven with you. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.